Hello and welcome to Speak Female, the podcast that is on a mission to empower, coach and educate women and allies around the world to become more confident, knowledgeable and to have the opportunity to listen to real subjects they can either relate to or learn something from. This season is all about female empowerment and leadership. So at the end of each interview, I will be reading out a quote that has been selected by my guest. I'm your host, Lucy Grimwade, professional development coach, senior IT manager, and of course, podcaster. You'll now find that in between the episodes, you'll have access to five minute coaching hosted by me. If you'd like to find out more about Speak Female and coaching, you can connect with me across all social media platforms or email me coaching at lucygrimwades.com. Enjoy the episode. Today, I'm so excited to welcome QB Springer to Speak Female. She is an award-winning international brand consultant. She's also an author of I Am My Brand, which sold 4,200 copies in the first 12 weeks. And she is a columnist for Harper's Bazaar. QB has worked with the biggest names, such as L'Oreal, MTV, London Fashion Week, Rio Ferdinand, P. Diddy, Justin Timberlake, Rolls-Royce, Aston Martin, the list goes on. QB also has had the opportunity to lead a number of brand marketing courses at academic institutions, corporate firms and international conferences. I'm so excited to be introducing you all today to QB Springer. Hello QB, welcome to Speak Female. Thank you for having me. It's such an honour. Oh, it's so wonderful to have you here. And like I was saying to you, it's like all my Christmases have come at once having you on here today. (laughs) That's very kind. (laughs) So your wealth of experience and you've worked with such amazing brands, Nike, L'Oreal. You've even worked with some amazing stars like Rio Ferdinand. I was wondering, was there any times in your career journey where you felt a bit of self-doubt? Oh my word, yes, absolutely. I remember, um, so I'll go to one of the earlier times, I was 26 years old and I was made head of marketing for the MOBO Awards. And for any listeners who don't know what that is, that's the Music of Black Origin Awards at the time, broadcast on BBC, prime time on BBC. And part of my remit was to secure sponsorship. And I ended up securing in excess of 1.3 million pounds worth of sponsorship. But at the time, I remember thinking, up until that point, I'd done some freelance projects. And they were big freelance projects. They were freelance projects with Nike and Justin Timberlake. And, you know, I'd started as an intern at MTV and an intern working with Diddy. So I'd been exposed, but I hadn't run a team. And it was the first time I was running a team of that scale with that sort of budget. Um, and to contextualize, you know, people like HMV and uh, Galaxy FM were media partners and retail partners. And this was a big deal. I was petrified. <laughs> I was just absolutely petrified thinking, what am I doing here? <laughs> you know, and how am I going to do this? And um what was beautiful was Kanye King, who who started and, and runs Mobo, really took me under her wing. And it was one of the first times that a female leader had taken me under their wing and really showed me the ropes and gave me the confidence to step into the role. There was another time I remember when I first started doing international speaking works. And now this is at the beginning of my 30s. And um 
I found myself in Malaysia at one of their biggest women's conferences. And, and it was like, I think about 7,000 people in the audience. And I remember just thinking at the side of the stage, oh my God, this is so scary. <laughs> you know, and I had learned how to say um, kind of the Muslim greeting to kind of say hello. And I was at the side of the stage and I, I'd forgotten how to say it. And I just remember feeling so petrified. And I thought, if you go on and you mess this up, you're going to offend <laughs> all these thousands of people. Um, but I just said a little prayer to myself and remembered. So this is what I say to all speakers. Remembered that this isn't about me. That when you go on stages as speakers, you're a vessel to impart something to the audience. And when I remembered that, it helped me to calm my nerves and just remember this isn't about you. This is about them. So, yeah. Yeah, that's wonderful. Any advice you would give if somebody is kind of suffering from that self-doubt? I'm reframing from using the word imposter syndrome because I feel like it's slightly overused. But mm. any advice you'd give um, our listeners today around self-doubt? Yes, I would say... Um, the first thing is that to remember that everybody at some point feels this way. You're not alone in feeling a little bit um, uh, lacking of confidence. I would also remember that it's a good thing. And the reason why it's a good thing is because you're stepping into a new arena. You're doing something brand new. Uh, I'll give you another example. I'm full of stories, I am. Uh, but one of my stories is a very recent one. So I got asked to be on an Amazon worldwide documentary talking about the Queen's brand. And um, it's now out. You can, you can watch it on Amazon. It's literally just come out this week. But I remember when I got the call and I went to go and do the interview. Now, bear in mind, I've done hundreds and hundreds of TV interviews. I've got a column in Harper's Bazaar. But because it was the Queen, I just kind of felt like, you can't mess this up. And I had that self-doubt. And I had to remind myself what I'm telling you and your listeners, which is actually usually when you're feeling scared is because you're stepping into a new arena. Um, as Rio Ferdinand would, would put it in our careers, and he talked about it from the, the stances as a footballer, there are divisions. And when you jump up to the next division, you are at the bottom of this new division. And you will work your way up and then you'll jump up to the next division. And then when you jump up to the next division, you're at the bottom of that new division. And the reason why we often feel scared is because we've jumped up to the new division. But guess what? We're at the bottom of that new division. And therefore, there's all these people in that new division that are bigger than us and more experienced than us. But it's a good thing because you've now jumped into a new division. So pat yourself on the back. Yeah, that's really powerful. When you were saying that, I was thinking, yeah, kind of own that challenge. Own and, it. Yeah. yeah. Because if you're not scared, it means you're still in your same comfort zone. It means that you're in the old division and you're at the top of that old division. Well, it's time to jump. Yeah. You're not progressing. You're not progressing. Absolutely. Oh, brilliant. Um, so also in your book, I Am My Brand, which is my most favourite book so far. Thank you. Um, you pose a question about what is my brand challenge? So I wanted to ask you, what has been your biggest challenge and how did you overcome it? Oh man. So I would say that challenges, especially those that really form us as human beings, they are an ongoing journey of overcoming. Um, so mine came about, and I do talk about it in the book when I was 11 years old, 
And for your audience, um, before I became a marketeer, I used to be a dancer and I loved all things classical ballet. In fact, I still do, right? If you want to be my BFF, just buy me a ticket to the Royal Opera House. And um, from the age of four, I was training at the Royal Academy. And at the Royal Academy, I had this dream of being able to audition like everybody else to get into the corps de ballet to be part of the national. And when I got to 11, my parents and myself were told that even though I was technically sound, even though I was a great dancer, I wasn't allowed to audition for the corps de ballet. And the year was 1986. And they told me that because back then they didn't have black girls in the corps de ballet. And so at the age of 11, I had experienced real racism. And that really had an imprint on my heart because I created a story and we all have these stories that we create in our head. I created a story that institutions that are predominantly owned by white people don't want people like me. And so it was the thing that fueled my career because I wanted to be the example that it's not true. You can step into your spotlight. And, you know, I, I, would say it was the catalyst, it was the engine, it was the thing that has propelled me to the heights that I've got to. But it's also, if I'm honest, the thing that's been my biggest burden. Mm. And even though I've got so many friends, I mean, my best friend is a woman called Sophie Med, who's, you know, blonde hair, blue eyes from Berkshire, right? So some of my closest and dearest friends are non-Blacks. But yet, and, and I've had many a conversation with them, it's still that niggling thing in the back of my mind. And it's a challenge that I'm always trying to evolve and get over. Um, and I would say to anybody listening that challenges are there to remind us that we have to keep growing and they're good things. And so even me at being a dark skinned black woman, that challenge and the continual challenge of racism, although it's diminishing, uh, that continual challenge is, is great because it continues to fuel me to be an example that you can overcome. But it's also great because it humbles me to remind me that actually this is something that I have to keep working through as the world also keeps working through it. Hubie, could I ask you around whether you see our world now shifting in that kind of diversity and inclusion space? I absolutely have seen a shift um, and it's such a good thing. You know, I, I often say to my mom who uh, was working as a businesswoman in the late 70s and in the early 80s that the world has changed and we live in a completely different world now. You know, my daughter she's not going to experience, or at least I, I doubt very much, she's going to experience the sort of things that my mom had to experience at a time where, you know, that on the door it said no blacks, no Irish, no dogs, right? Um, so I definitely think we live in a different world. Um, I'm on the board of an amazing organisation called um, Glove Clicquot, the drinks brand, and they have the Bold Woman Awards. And I'm on the board with them and it's so beautiful having conversations with them about everything from, you know, transgender women, non-binary, um, being able to get awards, opening it up for, you know, blacks, whites, mixed race, Asians. So I, I definitely think um, the world has changed. I think that we have a long way to go. But the beautiful thing is that the conversations are happening, the initiatives are being put in place, and people can see that it makes commercial sense to have a diverse workforce, to you know, produce products for a multicultural society. It makes great 
business sense. It makes moral sense, but it also makes great business sense. Um, and so, yeah, the world is changing for sure. And I embrace it. And do you think the Brit Awards were this week and something that I ended up not watching at all? And mainly because it was still those categories of female artists and male artists. So do you think in the next few years, we'll start to see the kind of male and female, whether, you know, it doesn't really matter, like an artist. Do you think mm. that will shift and change? I think that will shift. Whether it's the next couple of years, I don't know. But I think it will shift because the conversation's already having about, if we're talking about DNI, then we have to be talking about transgender. We have to be talking about people who regard themselves or, or place themselves as neither he nor she, but you know they and them. So I think it's a conversation that is starting, but in the same way that the gender conversation didn't happen overnight, the race conversation hasn't happened overnight. I think it's a process. I think it's also depending on where you are in the world. You know, I do a lot of global business. So when I'm in Africa or the Middle East or Asia, for example, that's not even on the discussion point. There is zero conversation about that because so many people who are uh, gay or trans or, 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 or um, bisexual or lesbians, they, they're doing it in secret. So depending on where you are in the world, um, some are having much more of a conversation and, and others are just not talking about it. That's a really interesting point, actually. So mm. thank you for sharing that. And just on the subject of your career, in your 20s, you were living in New York. And I wondered whether you could tell us about how you landed that opportunity to go and work in the Big Apple. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I love talking about this. So um, there's a program called Mount Batten. So anybody who's listening, who's got young people, children, etc, under the age of 30. So it's from 18 to 30 or 18 to 28, it might be, um, you can go on this internship program. Now, when I registered for Mount Batten, they were only doing exchanges between uh, the UK and the USA. Now they've got exchanges that are global. You can go and do internships in Hong Kong. You can go and do internships in Sydney. And equally, people in Hong Kong can come to London or go to New York or from Sydney to New York. So they really um, opened up as a real global uh, organization. But they were uh, funded and, and started by Lord Mountbatten, hence the name Mountbatten. And um, the idea is for global exchange and culture exchange. And so what happens is your young people, if you're a young person listening, you have to do an application, an interview here in the UK, then they match you up with an organisation in the USA, and then you have to do an interview with that organisation, if it's the US that you're going to, in my case, it was New York. And then um, what they do is they put you in um, accommodation, uh, kind of apartments, as it were, with other people from around the world who are part of the program. So it's quite a safe way to enter the USA. And that's how I got in. And so in my first year doing Mountbatten, I was actually working for an organization called IMN, Information Management Networks. It's so far away from the entertainment industry, but I was in the events department and, and specifically sponsorship events as an intern. And my, uh, a friend of mine had introduced me to Puffy's uh, PA who happened to be a girl from London who is now living in New York and so we linked up and she was like oh my god you know Puff has got a marketing agency called Blue Flame you should do some internships in the evening for Puffy 
And that's how it started. I would like literally leave my nine to five job and then go to like a party that Puffy was holding and be like, you know, I'll be your flyer girl. You know, I'll, I'll be at the RSVP door. I'll be doing the press checking list in the freezing cold. Like that's how it started. Just helping out at these parties because Puffy used to throw a lot of parties back then. Um, and I was so due diligent. And I remember when I first met him and I was like, give me a job. And he was like, you know, what are you going to do? And I'll do whatever you don't want to do. That was my response to him. Whatever you don't want to do, I'll show up. And he was like, okay, go and fly it for me at three in the morning. And I remember thinking, oh, I've got to wake up for work the next day. But <laughs> Times Square with the promo team flying at like one o'clock, two o'clock, three o'clock in the morning. And, and I was 21. So it was a lot of fun. You know, I didn't get any sleep, <laughs> but it was a lot of fun. And then after the year, technically Mountbatten is only one year. After the year, you're meant to come back home. But Puff gave me a job with Blue Flame and I ended up staying out there. What an incredible story. Yeah. And it just goes to show the power of networking yeah. and the power of being confident and offering yourself that challenge. Kind of go, do you know what I'm going to do this? I'm going to put myself out there. Absolutely. And I always say to people, especially those who are starting out, don't start for money. You know, I didn't, I, I didn't get paid anything that first year. I mean, a little bit of travel expenses here and there. Um, but when I was working in the evening, I was doing it because I wanted to work for the best. You know, and I had utilized the Mountbatten program as a way to get out to New York. But I always knew I wanted to work for somebody like a Puff Daddy because I had come from a dance background and entertainment background. I had done an internship at MTV whilst I was still at uni. And so I knew doing corporate events was not what I wanted to do, but it was a vehicle to get me out there. And then I was just like, you don't have to pay me. I just want to be here. I want to learn. I want to graft. And I think to some degree, because of social media and the idea of instantaneous fame and instantaneous, you know, millionaire money, which is rubbish. I think some people have just forgotten that you've got to put in the hard work. Yeah. You've got to put in the grind. It, honestly, it's so powerful what you've said there. And I've always thought this about you when I've kind of seen you present, see you on Instagram, even though we've just rolled our eyes at Instagram, but you know. <laughs> good platform. <laughs> but, it's, but it's also a good platform. But I wonder where, you know, has your confidence come from the fact that you used to be a dancer or even before, when you were growing up, have you always been this confident woman that I'm seeing today? That's a good question. I think confidence is a muscle. And I think that um, confidence is also based on particular activities or scenarios. So I would start off before I answer about me personally by saying that um, always see anything that you feel that you're not confident in, that it's just a muscle and you can work that muscle and become confident in it. So let's say, for example, you think I want to be a public speaker, but I'm not very confident getting on the stage. Well, then start small, you know, do little presentations to your family, build up the confidence doing that, speak up more in the, you know, in the meetings at work, build up the confidence doing that, go on to small stages, go on to Zoom small stages, go on to clubhouse stages, right? It's a muscle. And the more you work it the more you become confident in a thing so that that's the, the first caveat I want to put out in terms of me personally I come from a family of um, entrepreneurs 
So, you know, my mom, I called her ultimate badass. I'm like, if you think I'm dope, wait till you meet my mom, right? And bless her little cotton socks. She's 17 next year. So she's she's slowing down, but she's still badass at 70, right? Um, and so my mom used to do things like this. She used to say to us when we were naughty, she never said, go and sit in the naughty corner. And this is something for all the parents and parents to be. And she never hit us. What she used to do is she used to say, tell me why you did what you did. And so as children, we were being trained to articulate our thoughts and our opinions. And if we had nothing to say, that would really annoy her. So she then she would say, go away and write it down. Why did you do what you did? And then come back and tell me. And I do that with my daughter now. And if you ever see, and you, you follow me on Instagram, so you've probably seen my nine-year-old. Um, she's so confident because I took that same approach. Our job as parents is to not mute our children, but to give them the power to speak. And the more we do that, the more we're grooming and exercising that muscle of confidence so they can go into the world and have the confidence to speak up to that, you know, narcissist boss or that boyfriend that's an idiot, right? Um, so that's what it was with me. I, I was in an environment that encouraged me to speak and have a voice. Yeah, and, and I feel as well with that kind of approach, you're learning from your mistakes. Mm -hmm. You're learning how to voice actually how you're feeling mm -hmm. and learning how you can maybe approach it differently next time. And again, mm -hmm. if you mute someone, put them in the corner or you know, take away toys. Nowadays, children, you try to take the toys away from them. I don't know if you've had this experience at all or with friends, but they're just like, okay, mm -hmm. you know, it's not, yeah, mm -hmm. so that's a really amazing. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, I think what she did without even realizing it is exactly what you're saying. You know, she was, she, well, no, my mom, she probably did realize, but she she's building, you know, she was watering the seed um, at, rather than burying the seed of confidence. Yeah, really lovely. I also just want to ask you, because when you were in New York, um, I had read that you were there during 9-11. And if you're comfortable in doing so, are you able to kind of talk us through that moment when you saw the tower, the first tower being hit? Oh my gosh. So if I can contextualize what had been happening before, I'd only been there one day. Mm. Um, I mount bat and put us up in a hotel when you first arrive, because you have orientation for the first week. So you don't go straight to your apartment. You go into this hotel and you're paired with one other person in the hotel, another female in my case, amazing lady called Ada. And um, we were due to go downtown. No, we were due to go to an orientation meeting, which would have been midtown. And Ada and I woke up early and we went downtown because we were told there was some Waffle House or the other in, in Soho downtown. And, and we wanted to get it and then go to the orientation. So we were downtown where it happened. And geographically, um, the Twin Towers was downtown. So we weren't right by the Twin Towers. We weren't um, right all the way down so far as the financial district, but we were near Soho which I would say we were 15 minute walk yeah. from where it was. Um, and the towers are massive, right? Mm -hmm. If everybody thinks about the Empire State Building, how big that is, the towers are massive. And, um, and so 
when we came out of the subway, we then heard and saw the ruckus and we were caught up in the smoke because what people don't realize is that Fifth Avenue, the smoke from downtown went all the way up Fifth Avenue and we were very close. And so we were caught up in the smoke and we were just thinking, is there a fire? What's going on? And I just remember, I can't remember if it was Ada or somebody closer to us saying, oh my God. And we looked up and the plane was so low you know you know when you see a plane in the sky it's really high right but the noise of the plane and the plane was so low I remember just thinking what is going on and um yeah and then just my eyesight followed the plane and followed it going into the tower and I just remember thinking Jesus mm. it was like being in a movie you know um and I remember Ada just said, we need to run. You know, we need to run. And we just ran. And I can't remember how many blocks we ran for, but we just kept running. And um, yeah, it was really scary. You know, we were both 21. I think Ada's maybe 22. And we just held hands and ran for blocks. Um, and I think that the, the thing that was probably the most scary of that whole experience was not only seeing the tower being hit, but just the not knowing. Mm. You know, this was a time when there were no mobile phones. We couldn't contact anybody. The phone lines went down in, in Manhattan. So I couldn't, you know, go to a phone box and call my mum. And I remember we, uh, that night, we were back in the hotel and this is where the scariest part happened, was the night they thought that the Empire State Building would be hit. And that night, we, or the whole day, we had spent all day just watching the TV screens. And that night we were still up watching the TV screens. We had our PJs on and they evacuated us from the hotel. And I remember us going, I think we were on something like the, the 70 something floor. So we were really high up and we had to run down all the flights of stairs. And when we got downstairs, you know, the tannoy was saying, leave the building, leave the building, leave the building. And I remember when we got down and we opened up the fire escape doors and outside was like being in this the only thing I can describe it of is a movie. Mm. There were sirens, there were people crying, there were people running. And I remember me and Ada turning to the police officer and going, what's going on? And he was like, they're gonna, they're gonna hit the Empire State Building, run. And, and run where? You know, Manhattan, and, and, and that's the first time I realized it, Manhattan's an island. Yeah. Ada and I were like, run where? If they're going to hit the Empire State Building, where do we run to? And we had no family and we didn't know where all the other interns were. And we were just on our own. And, um, you know, after, after hours of just kind of wandering the streets, we ended up just kind of sitting down somewhere, cuddling each other, crying. And we spent the night on the streets because it was like, run where? Where do we escape to? Where do we go to? We just prayed. Yeah. Wow. What what an incredible story to tell. Mm. And you you were saying there around how it's like a movie. Mm. And I wonder, 
even though it's very different, but also slightly similar with the world that we live in at the moment. It has felt like a movie. It has, hasn't it? Yeah. And I wanted wanted to ask, you know, around how how have you kept your kind of mental health strong? Because we've seen a lot of mental health stories come out from this pandemic. Mm. I wondered if you could share any insights on how you've kept your your brain strong. Yeah, I think there's a few things. I think we've all learned um, in the same way that I learned with Ada that night that we need each other, right? And the power of community. Um, One of the beautiful things during that time and this time, I remember in the night when we, we were on the streets of Manhattan, how many people came up and gave us a a coffee, chatted with us. It didn't feel like a scary place, even though New York, you know, can be one of the most scariest places in the world, let's be honest, right? In terms of crime rate, but it didn't feel like a scary place because everybody bonded together. And I think the same thing has happened during this time. I think that people have really become their neighbor's keeper. You know, I live in a a, a development, a gated development. And I remember Easter last year, people put in notes through the door to let anybody who had children know that there was an Easter hunt, a social distancing Easter hunt that one one of the members of our little community had put on around their house, their front house. And I think that, you know, whenever we're going through things, the last thing to do is isolate yourself. You know, you you have to reach out to your mini community. And that's one of the things I've done. Um, when I was homeschooling my daughter, I'm now a single mom. I'm going through a divorce, unfortunately. Um, but one of the things I did is I, I said to my mom and dad who live in Spain, I was like, hey, can you guys be angels, virtual teachers? Mom, you're good at, ma- at English. Can you do English? Dad, you're great at maths. Can you do maths? Um, you know, I spoke to my estranged husband and said, hey, you know, you're really good at science. Can you do science? And, and I think reaching out to your community and, and not trying to be a she woman yeah. and say, I can do it on my own. Take off the she woman cape and be like, actually, I need help. I think that's one thing. The second thing for me personally, uh, I'm a Christian, so prayer is so important to me. And I would say, even if you're not a Christian, just getting into meditation, you know, getting into a practice where you quiet down your mind, where you journal how you feel, where you allow yourself to feel it and cry, um, and to speak to that inner voice that lives into, inside of all of us. You know, as Christians, we call it the Holy Spirit. Some people might call it our little inner child, our inner voice, our gut instinct, you know, whatever name you want to give it. Just get really in touch with you and having that conversation with you and letting you know that you've got you. Yeah. I'm, I'm hearing there, you know, be a sense of a community, support your community, be kind to yourself. Mm. self-care I'm a huge self-care advocate so anyone that's listening would knows for a fact I'd be saying that yeah but also be comfortable being vulnerable to say I need help I need help and I think the other thing that has sustained me is working out yeah and there was a, a season where I didn't work out over Christmas and I found myself being really sad and I thought why am I sad it's Christmas and obviously last Christmas was a crappy one, right? Because we couldn't see family the way we knew and what he do. And I thought, yeah, but you know, 
that's not me. And then I realized you're not working out. You're stuffing yourself with crisp and chips and chocolate and, you know, which is great at Christmas, but working out, it's, it's just a lifesaver, like literally, figuratively, spiritually, mentally, it really is. I'm a big advocate. Get up and, and it doesn't matter what you do, do some yoga, do some Pilates, go for a walk. You know, I love to box. I get my anger out, you know, uh, yeah, punch in the punching bag. And so I, I created a room in my house in a mini gym and and working out so important for me yeah and QB I can't have you on the podcast without asking you about branding yeah <laughs> so <laughs> I've got three questions around um branding if that's okay yeah and the first question is why is it so important for individuals to have a personal brand mm, I think it's so important because you know statistics and data tells us that the world has changed you know 90 percent of recruiters will google you before they even look at your cv and so the days of thinking i might have a brand is diminished if you don't have a digital footprint in the year 2021 and beyond you're actually doing more damage than good that's number one Number two, I think we have to reframe what branding is. You know, when the word branding first came out, people thought it was about your 60 second elevator pitch. And, and, you know, it's not about promotions. It's not about how great you can write a blog. And it's not about how many selfies you can take on Instagram. Like that's (laughs) not what branding is about, right? Personal branding is really about how do you show up and serve? I'm going to say it again. It's about how do you show up? How do you authentically show up? How do you present the best versions of you? And then how do you use that in the acts of service? Whether it's how do you serve your teams within the, you know, the organization? How do you serve the wider organization? How do you serve the department? How do you serve uh, the offices globally? How do you serve your customers? How do you serve your clientele? How do you serve your community? It's about serving. Mm. You know, and people often say to me, oh my God, can you be on Instagram? You're always doing lives. We're always giving so many tips. Yeah, because branding is about serving. And the more you serve, the more people lean into you and then they buy from you. The more you promote and sell, the more you actually repel people. Because none of us likes to be sold to, right? You think about the last time you got that silly telly salesperson, you're like, oh, God, away, <laughs> right? But actually, if you find somebody on YouTube or on Clubhouse or on LinkedIn or on Instagram, or you come across them at an event and their approach is, how can I help you? Then you're much more likely to lean in. Yeah. In your book, I, I can't remember, you're going to completely tell me the, the right numbers here, but there was something around about an 80 20 10. Or 70, 20, 10 of the yeah. way you, you post and show up. Yeah. So, so another way to, to remember it you, is to use a boxing analogy, okay. right? So to go jab, jab, knockout, jab, jab, knockout. Yeah. And so the jab, jab is all about serve, serve. Then here's the knockout. I've got a call to action. So serve, serve. Here's my call to action. And your call to actions might not be buy because you're taking your customers on a journey from awareness to consideration, evaluation to purchase, repeat purchase to advocacy. Mm -hmm. So because you're taking them on a journey, the jab jab is I'm gonna serve you, I'm gonna serve you, and now I'm gonna ask you to do something. 
and that do something might be go to my website and sign up for the newsletter so you can get more tips or it might be um, follow me on YouTube or it might be um, download a free ebook, right? The jab, the call to action isn't always a buy. And the reason why it isn't always an instant buy is because you want to nurture the relationship so that when you eventually say, hey, I've got something that you can purchase from me, guess what? They're already asking you for it. So if I think about my, my relationship with uh, my, my, my tribe is that I do so much serving on Instagram as an example that people come to me and go, when's your next masterclass? You know, or, or they'll buy the book and I'll do so much serving and blog posting or podcasting around the book. So they'll go, when's your next book? Right. So I don't need to encourage you to buy. I don't need to hard sell you. You serve so much that people have leaned in that they're like, I need what you've got. And then they buy. So on the subject of your book there, when is your next book? (laughs) (laughs) Actually, it's coming out this October. Yeah, so I've got, I'm going to be celebrating 25 years in brand marketing this October. And so I've got a new book coming out for that. Yeah. I'm very, very excited. I have to sign up to any mailing lists that are available (laughs) so I can be the first person to buy the book. (laughs) Yeah, I'm excited as well. This one's yeah, <laughs> I'm so excited. I'm like, if you think I am my brand is good, yeah, this is this is for now. Yeah, and I'm going to put a link in our show notes um, to your book and also my review as well that I left on Amazon and my video review as well. Thank you. <laughs> That's okay. So two more questions around branding before I let you go. Is what's the top mistakes people make when it comes to branding? I think the biggest, one of the biggest mistakes that people make, um, and I'm going to talk about personal brands because of your, your yeah. audience, is that they think that they have to put on a brand, right? So they think, oh, I'm going to a networking event, right? Let me be professional now. And they have to put on a brand or, oh, I'm going to pitch to a client. Let me speak in my pitching voice, right? <laughs> like, no, child, <laughs> birth your brand. It's already in you. So, you know, I have always been a talker. I've always been extravagant. I've always been a little bit blunt for my own liking, right? And so that's who I am. So birth it, Mm. birth it. You know, birth the fact that you're effervescent and birth the fact that you're a little bit quirky, Kubi, and birth the fact that you're going to say, uh-uh, no, not today, right? (laughs) That's just who I am. You know, like if if you haven't noticed, I'm black, you know, so I've got a little black culture in me. I'm not going to deny that. And, and, you know, I'm blunt. And at the same time, I'm nurturing and I love God and I'm a Christian and I love people. And I'm an, a, a, a bit of a nerd when it comes to branding. Birth, all of it. Don't put on a brand. Yeah. I really love, there's a, there's a piece in your book around um, how you showed up to a networking event really early on in, in your career in like yeah. a grey suit, you know, <laughs> and people were like, oh, what, like, why are you wearing that? Then the next time you, and I remember there's some images I've seen of you in your red, like pantsuit, <laughs> and you had your big hair as well. And when I met you at, um, it was the Best You Expo, and I was the one that was there going, yes, yes, like nodding my head. And um, I spoke to you at the end, and I just remember being like wow you just was so authentically you you know you had bright colors on you were so kind you know had a red I think you even had like a red lip and it just goes to show you don't need to be this gray suit pinky ring red socks 
No. Boom. And the reason why you don't is because think of business like a big puzzle. And all of us need to really own our parts of the puzzle. Because when the puzzle comes together, then collectively, we can come up with some great business solutions for the problem at hand. And, and I, I will talk to maybe somebody who's working in an organization. When you're sitting around that boardroom and you're doing that brainstorm dump or you're coming up with a strategy, you know, what the last thing the organization needs is 11 Timothys that all went to Oxford. Yes. <laughs> right? <laughs> Because actually what the organization needs a Timothy that went to Oxford, but they also need a Sally that went to the public school and they need a, a Kubi that came up as a dancer and changed her career because we all bring a unique perspective to the problem at hand and therefore come up with better solutions. And that's why you need to own who you are because the world needs your perspective and your unique solution to be part of a great puzzle. When you were saying that, I was like frantically like nodding my head, smiling along to that because that is so a speak female value there around changing that face of leadership. We don't need a boardroom full of white Timothys, you know, Dave. I think there was a stat out recently around um, there's more men who are or more CIOs that are called Dave than there are females. Mm. You know, like hello, wake up. Let's start changing the space of leadership here. Mm. So I. I really love that really speak female value there yeah yeah and and off people often ask me I just give a follow-up on that about being an introvert and they kind of say you know well what about if I'm an introvert and I'm like own that own your quiet confidence own it you know not everybody needs a big mouth kubi in the meeting either (laughs) right we need the observers we need the people who are data driven who are much more kind of logical in their thinking who really tune into their iq and we need people who tune into their you know eq and we need people who tune into their sq which is spiritual um intelligence we need all of it around the room so own that if that's who you are yeah love it Own, own who you are embrace who you are make your strengths work for you Absolutely. I say in the book, my difference is my strength. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely love that. So my last last question for you before I let you go is if you were to give a couple of key ingredients to build a successful personal brand, what would those key ingredients be? Mm. I think one would be knowledge. I think it's really important to be knowledgeable in your area of expertise. I think we are in a day and era where we have too many, I call them copy and paste experts. They've gone onto Google and they're copying and pasting knowledge and then they're, you know, using that. And that doesn't, that might work for a one-off, but it won't give you a long-term sustainable career. Uh, Knowledge is important because Industry is always changing, markets are always changing. And for you to be able to be in the game for a long period of time, making money, you need to keep up with your knowledge bank. And I, I people often ask me, they say, Kubi, how are you always able to speak, you know, so eloquently from the top of your mouth, no matter top of your head, rather, no matter what setting you're in? And that's because I spend half a day every week just around knowledge banking, you know, reading up. around my subject area reading around my subject area and also just observing what's happening in the in the world at large doing a bit of a pesto analysis and I'm constantly investing in my knowledge bank 
And I would encourage every single person, if you don't invest in your knowledge bank, you can create a pretty external brand. But when you get through that door, you were kicked right back out because you don't have the substance to keep you there. You know, so it's great as women to say, we want to be leaders, we want to be at the boardroom, we want to be at the top, but we have to invest in the knowledge bank so that we can match like for like at a knowledge content level. Yeah, That's number one. Number two, I would say to be like water. Don't get stuck in this is how I do it. This is what my prices are. This is how it's always done. I mean, if this time has told us anything... Is <laughs> that how it's always done is not now, right? We are in a new normal. And I think that's going to always evolve. And so be like water, be agile, be open to change, be um be confident in the fact that your knowledge can work in any setting and in any way. And that's why you've got to have the substance. Because then you can be like, I've got the substance. I'm confident in that. Okay, you need me to do it on Zooms now? All right, here we go. Oh, the world has opened back up. You want me to now jump back on stages? Okay, here we go. Oh, what? You need me to fly to Singapore to do it? Okay, here we go. Oh, you don't need me to fly? Like, <laughs> it's okay. Because you're confident in the substance. That's yeah. two. Number three, be authentically you. I think that's going to be my theme for this talk, right? Yeah. Be authentically you. If you're having a crappy day, tell your team, be honest about it. Say to them, hey, I might be a little bit quiet on the Zoom call, but I'm present. Be honest about it. Be authentically you. Um, don't put on a brand's birth one. Thank you. And thank you, QB, for such a fantastic interview for Speak Female today. Oh, you're welcome. <laughs> And thank you to you, the listener, for joining QB and I today on Speak Female. QB and I discussed what it was like during 9-11, how to build a personal brand, what are the key ingredients to build a personal brand. If you'd like to get in touch with QB, check out the show notes for her contact details. And you can also find mine there as well. If you haven't done so already, please do subscribe to Speak Female share across your networks, and if you can, leave a review. And in the words of QB Springer herself, I am my brand. <laughs>